I don't know about you, but uh, this, this time of year uh, can bring about a variety of, of different thoughts and emotions. Um, for me, it's, it's exciting uh, all over again because we have four children at home that get excited all the time about, about Christmas and uh, try to get a head start on all of that. And, and, and they, they're mostly excited, I suppose, about what they, they think they'll receive, the, the gifts they'll get and all of that. And, and so it, it's, it's an exciting time. And yet, I don't know about you, but there's something in me that, that really dreads just a, sort of another Christmas of routine and really not having it matter the way that it should. And I don't want to be cynical in our society, but I would imagine if you this time of year have, have gone shopping or watched commercials, then you realize that in our culture it's much less about Jesus than it is about stuff. And some of you were brave, that's one way to put it, to go shopping on Black Friday. Insane would be another way to put it, but I'm trying to be nice. And so some of you went there and you just experienced firsthand the madness that comes with Christmas. And I, it, it's interesting to me how, how far we've drifted, it seems, from the core of what Christmas is all about. You've heard that before. That can even sound like a cliche, but the Christmas story is extremely powerful, but it's also very, very familiar to us. Uh, the, the song about Mary, one that you've probably heard before, but you see it in a little different light, and it kind of makes it new again all over. And I remember every Christmas when I was a child, Christmas morning, my dad would gather uh, us there, my mom and my sister, and we would all be there, and and each Christmas morning, I remember him reading to us the Christmas story out of the Bible. And he would start in Luke chapter 2, and he would read about the birth of Jesus, you know, in Bethlehem, and there's no room at the inn, and, 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 and then the shepherds were alerted, and they run, and they worship Jesus, and then come the wise men, and over in Matthew, and, and, and I remember that story. I would, I would guess that most of us here, could probably recite much of that story. So one by one, we're going to come up and tell what you know. I'm just joking. Uh, just to see if you're listening. But anyway, <clears throat> I wonder, though, how many times have you had opportunity to really think about the Christmas story? I mean, really think about it. Consider all the people that were involved. To really study it, more so than just reading it as maybe a tradition at Christmas, though obviously there's nothing wrong with that but to really think and to consider and contemplate those characters. You think of people like Mary and Joseph. I think of Elizabeth and Zechariah, John the Baptist's parents. You, you, you think about the, the angels showing up to, to Mary and then to Joseph, and then all the multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I mean, you think about all that stuff, but doesn't it just sort of go in one ear and out the other? But if you really stop and contemplate all those characters and the implications on their lives of Jesus coming, they almost seem like fictional characters, don't they? They almost seem like, well, there's something different about them than there is about me. I mean, Mary was the mother of Jesus, for crying out loud. I, you know, I, what have I done? Um, you know, Joseph got to be the earthly father of Jesus. I, I can't put that on my resume. They almost can seem like fictional characters. And of course we know the star of the show is Jesus. We, we know that none of these folks should or, or can biblically be elevated to any position but human. We, we understand that according to the scripture. 
And yet there's something incredible to learn about each of them as they experience Jesus physically and literally coming into their lives. How did he affect each one of them? What, were, what was the impact that he had on, on the life of, of someone like Mary that we looked at last week? A girl who maybe have, have been as young as 12 years old, going to be the mother of her Savior. What kind of impact would that have? How would it change them? What inconveniences would it bring for them? What was their response to him? Last week we looked at Mary. This week I want to look at Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. Now if you're thinking in your own mind, I want you to consider for a second, what do we know about Joseph? The husband of Mary, the Bible calls him, the earthly father of Jesus as we know him. If you got your Bible open, why don't you turn with me to the book of Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament. And we're going to look at some scriptures this morning, but I, before we do that, I want you to, to think about what, what is known about Joseph. What, what is it that we know from scripture about him? Well, what's interesting about him, and I find most interesting, there, there, as far as I can tell, there are no recorded words from Joseph. Even when they find Jesus in the temple teaching, it's Mary who speaks to him. We have, we have no recorded words from him. Yet he's a very important character. The Bible says, and Matthew, we'll see in just a minute, that he was righteous. And that simply means that, no, he's not perfect, but he, but he followed the law of God. He, he loved God, and he, he followed the law of God as a, as a good Jewish man was to do. Jesus, in the, in the New Testament, is later called the son of a carpenter. We don't have that explicitly said of Joseph, that he was a carpenter with a job description on what he did, but, but it's later described that Jesus was the son of a carpenter. So we kind of get a, an idea of his vocation. We, we understand through what's said about him through genealogies and what the angel will speak to him in Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus, or rather Joseph, came from the line of David, King David uh, in, in Israel. We, we understood that, uh, that, that he's from Nazareth, uh, this, this small town that was of little count, it seems, to most people. That's where he's from. We, we get the idea in, early in the Gospels, Matthew and Luke in particular, that Joseph was around for the early part of Jesus' life. He acted toward him as an adoptive father. Uh, he, he cared for him. He nurtured him. He, he did the things that fathers should do for their children when they're very young. And yet we don't have any knowledge of him after Jesus is about 12 years old. So it's assumed by most people that he died somewhere between the time Jesus was 12 and the time his public ministry began. We don't know a whole lot about him. But what we will learn about him is that though Joseph was a godly man, a righteous man, the scriptures say, even before Jesus arrived on the scene, what, what we'll discover from Joseph is that Jesus in his life changed everything. And I mean everything about Joseph. Look at Matthew chapter 1. Learning from a guy today who became the father of, Figuratively speaking, of course, humanly speaking, of God. What do you do when your son is God? I mean, think, think of those implications. Look, look what happened to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, 
because what, is, what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which translated as God, with, God is with us. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the, the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Very familiar passage of Scripture. But I want to, to highlight something for us this morning that I really and truly believe that Joseph experienced that we'll find is both a great lesson, a conviction, I hope, for us, and a great challenge for us moving forward. Joseph learned very quickly that Jesus brings disruption and meaning to every part of life, every area of life. Jesus brings disruption and meaning to every part of life. You'll see on the back of your bulletin. Some of you like to follow along and you say, well, that's it. Can we close in prayer? Everybody said amen. No, I'm just, that's the one thing that I want to make sure you walk away with. And it is a statement, I believe, of absolute truth. that We'll see the implications on Joseph's life. And I want to show you, as we move through this, that I honestly believe that through the Scripture and through history, we'll see this is the normative experience for Christians. This is normal for Christians to experience what Joseph experienced, and that is disruption and meaning in every area of life brought on by the presence of Jesus Christ. I want to walk through some areas where Joseph was disrupted to begin with, and that's why there's plenty of space there. Maybe you'd like to jot a few of these down. Though they won't be on the screen, you can follow along. First, the first thing that I noticed that was disrupted in Joseph's life were, were his wedding plans. Look at verse 18 again. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph. Now stop there for just a second. The engagement period, of course, is, as you probably know, during the Old Testament times, during ancient Jewish times, and up until this point we pick it up in Matthew chapter 1, very different from a typical American engagement. The betrothal period was arranged by the parents for specific purposes, financially and security and so on. And at the point where it was decided that the, the man and the woman would be married, they were considered married except for the fact that sexual union and living together were off limits. They would not consummate the relationship until the actual wedding date, about a year after the marriage was arranged. Joseph is planning for just such an occasion, a wedding that would be a celebration where he would then take Mary to his home to live together as husband and wife and to consummate the marriage in a sexual union. It was discovered, verse 18, before they came together, that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Wow. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Imagine the disruption that comes with finding out that the one who is supposed to be remaining pure and holy to you and to God for a full year before you come together is now pregnant, claiming to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. His wedding plans all messed up. I'm not talking about romance. I'm not talking about this, this big event that we know is a wedding. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm just talking about the plan he had for his life. Here's the way it's going to go. I'm about to be married within a year to this young girl that my parents have said she's the right one for you, and we're going to live happily ever after all 
shot because he discovers she's pregnant. The disruption on his wedding plans caused Joseph to kind of step back and say, now what do I do? The options that he had were pretty clear according to Jewish law. Adultery was punishable in that time by stoning. He could have had her killed. And yet there's something about him. God is working on him in some kind of way that gives him a little pause to not do that. Though he could have, though, he, though his, his, Mary's actions would have reflected very poorly on him, he was disgraced, he's disrespected, he could have done all that the law would allow him to do, and yet he, he pauses and he decides to go a different way. He's going to terminate the marriage in a different way. He's going to have it annulled in a, in a different way. Imagine for just a second being in his shoes. The life that you assumed you would have hasn't happened. The plans that you had made get all twisted, and now you've got something altogether different to deal with. The dream that you had is now a living nightmare, and, and it's nothing like you ever thought it would be. No more wedding for Joseph. No more marriage to the girl that he thought he was going to be married to. The one his parents had approved of. No more of that, he thought. Jesus had disrupted Joseph. And what I find interesting, even before Joseph knew that Jesus was there, he, he disrupted Joseph just by his mere presence, even before Joseph truly knew who it was that had disrupted him. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you're experiencing things not going as you planned. Your life not being what you hoped it would be. You look at your life and you say, I look back ten years, <laughs> I wouldn't have chosen this. This isn't what I thought I would be experiencing. Not gone according to plan, and now you're, you're weighing your options. What do... I do. You've been absolutely disrupted in your life. And you know that your life can never be the same and certainly won't be what you thought it would be. Joseph experienced all that, and as we'll see later discover, Jesus was causing the disruption. It, it may be, don't miss this, it may be in your life that the disruptions you're experiencing are the direct result of God's work in your life. It may be that your soul sort of being turned over a little bit and your spirit sort of being upset just a tad and things being on your mind that you, that you, you, you maybe you're experiencing things you never thought and it could be, it could be that because Jesus has gotten involved, you're disrupted before you even know that it's Him involved. Truth is, the Lord is involved whether we even know it or can trace what he's doing. Joseph would later learn that was true. His wedding plans were disrupted. Since his wedding plans were disrupted, his early married life was also disrupted. Look at verse 20. But after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, go ahead with what you're thinking about doing because you have the right to do that and to divorce her secretly, and in fact, you're a really good guy for not having her stoned. Says your, ver your version's probably a little different than that. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. Hmm. She will give birth to a son. You are to name him Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. 
You talk about a guy's idea of what his early married life was going to be like, changing in a heartbeat. Not only was his betrothed pregnant, not by him, now he is instructed to do something totally different than anybody in his community would have told him to do. Everybody would have said, Joseph, you're such a righteous man for not having her stone, man. Let me pat you on the back. That girl deserves to be shunned after what she's done, saying, blaming it on God, that God did this to her, right? Everybody would have condoned Joseph's actions if he had just put her away secretly or even had her stoned, and yet the angel shows up and says, Joseph, not only have your wedding plans been disrupted by the Lord, but guess what? Now your early married life, because you're going to marry that girl, you're going to endure her shame along with her, and she'll give birth to a son. But he won't be your son, he's going to be God's son. What do you do when you first get married and all of a sudden you're the father of God? I mean, how do you, how do you handle that? None of us have ever experienced that. No angel has shown up to me and said, hey, by the way, your children, I mean, good grief, can you imagine the disruption? Any idea of what he thought his early married life would be? Going back to Nazareth and, and just making a home and a life there with Mary. And they're going to learn to get to know one another. And, 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 and they'll produce children, yes, but they'll be theirs together. And maybe they would have had a little time just to kind of continue to enjoy one another and so on. I have no idea what his plans for his early married life would be, but I know they got disrupted. And disrupted not only just in having a child, certainly that is a disruption in life enough. I know that four times over. Um, but disrupted in the fact that this wasn't even his child. Consider that. One thing, if he said, well, okay, I take responsibility for my own actions here, and, and I'll father this child because that's my responsibility. God said to him through an angel, not going to be your son, but you're going to father him anyway. Joseph likely expected a son at some point, a son that he could teach his carpentry skills to, a son he could raise to look and to act and to be just like him. And yet his firstborn son is the son of God. Sort of interesting you put yourself in his shoes. This disruption that Jesus brought to Joseph wasn't just a spiritual disruption. Don't miss that. It truly affected his life. It changed the course of of his life, and that's what life with Jesus is just like. Not just spiritual disruptions. Life with Christ, life as a follower of Jesus, is not merely a spiritual experience. Why? Because if it doesn't bear fruit in our lives and come out, then the Bible says, don't blame me, that it's not real. It's not real, it's an act. Joseph experienced. It's not an act. Yes, it was spiritual. Yes, the angel showed up to him, but it affected him physically and in his relationship with his wife. Disruption in his early married life and also in his personal life. Don't miss this part. Verse 24. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her. Well, isn't that great? But next, look at what he did. But did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and, she, and he named him Jesus. The interruption, the disruption of Jesus affected his personal life. His relationship physically with his wife was going to be affected and prevented from happening the way that normally would happen between husbands and wives because Jesus came into the picture. 
Now, don't take this and say, well, that should happen in my own marriage. That's not what I'm talking about. This is no excuse for the lack of relation between husbands and wives. That's not what I'm saying. But the principle is clear that when Jesus enters the picture, not only does it disrupt some of the things that maybe are public, and it kind of changes our approach to life in general, but at its very core, our relationship with Jesus affects the most personal aspects of our lives. You would think that it would be enough for Joseph to have his wedding plans and his early married life interrupted. But Jesus was going to disrupt Joseph on very personal levels to bring about what God's plan was. After this year of betrothal, the married couple, as I said, would go to the home of the groom where they would consummate their marriage in a sexual union. That's not going to be the case for Joseph and Mary. Everything's going to be different. Don't miss that part. Everything, when Jesus enters, is totally, totally different. It was extremely vital that Joseph not have those kinds of relations with Mary until Jesus was born because it was clear that Jesus would be born of a virgin without a sinful nature passed on through a man. He would not be the son of a man, though he was born of a woman. He would be the son of God, perfect in every single way, without sin, and Joseph had to experience that on a very personal level. Self-control and so on. Joseph would be forced to exercise that self-control that's not demanded of other people in the Scripture. You think about life as a Christian. The bar is raised. The bar is raised for our purity, for our self-control, for our personal lives. There's no compartment that says, this is my Christian life over here, and over here is my personal life, and I'll do with this what I like, and over here, I let God do what He wants. Joseph shows us that Jesus disrupts it all. He also, by implication here, disrupts the career plans of Joseph. We don't see him trying to climb some corporate ladder, but we understand that he had an idea of what vocationally he would be doing. And yet, as we see throughout this particular story, He's not going to be the kind of father who settles into a trade and trains his son and has that life that he probably assumed would be the case. Instead of settling into a place to work and build his family business, Joseph goes on the run from those who want to kill his son. Career plans interrupted. Joseph was a young man, maybe late teens, maybe early 20s, we don't know. But the life that he imagined... Even his career plans were totally disrupted by the presence of Jesus in his life. And I wonder about us. I wonder how often our career plans have been interrupted or disrupted by what Jesus may want to do in and through us in the place where we work or to lead us to a new place. I have no idea. I don't know what it is for you, and I'm certainly not saying that tomorrow you need to walk in and quit your job because God showed up in the form of that half-bald-headed preacher and told me what I should do. Now, that's not what I'm saying. But I just wonder, do we, do we truly understand, looking at the life of Joseph, the implication on every aspect of our lives, even our work life, that it ought to be different. There ought to be some sort of mission from God that we are on regardless of whether we're at work. It's not just another compartment. It's not just another area of our lives that we go and do and punch in and punch out and we come home and then on Sunday we might turn God on and so on and so forth. For Joseph, it affected everything. I'm not just talking about those who might be called to full-time ministry or overseas in missions. 
That may be your first thought. Well, yeah, certainly for them, their career plans are interrupted. Maybe they thought they were going to be an engineer, and all of a sudden God called them to Africa. But, you know, I just work down the road here, no big deal. I, you know, I've got my business or whatever. It's not just for those people that God wants to disrupt. God may not change your vocation. He may not change where you work. That may be depressing for some of you. I don't know. Maybe you're looking for me to say, God's going to give you a new job. I have no idea about that. But God may not change all of that, but he can change who you are, where you are, and he wants to do that by disrupting you and making you see all of those things where you work in the light of Jesus Christ. Joseph's career plans were changed. His location and his security were also changed. Look in Matthew chapter 2. Look at verse 13. The wise men have come. They've gone. They've deceived Herod, the king, so that he doesn't know where Jesus is. It says in verse 13, after they were gone, the wise men, the magi, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream. By this time, he's probably getting used to this sort of experience. Saying, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled out of Egypt. I called my son. Now look at verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph. He told, me, he told him he would. If you're shocked at this point, if you're Joseph, by the appearance of the angel, he promised he would back in verses 13 to 15. He suddenly appears saying, get up. Take the child and his mother and go out to the land of Israel, because those who sought the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and entered the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went out and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Because Jesus was in his life, Joseph experienced the disruption of his location. He was pretty content, I'm sure, just to kind of stay right where he was. And that day, you didn't travel a whole lot. You certainly didn't leave your family and move all over the place. That was just unheard of. You just didn't do that much. Joseph was living close to where he grew up, around his family, around his close friends, around people he loved around those he trusted, and all that now is disrupted because of Jesus. You know, it would have been enough, I think, for Joseph to endure the change in his wedding plans, for the reality that his early married life was going to be different than what it normally was for husbands and wives, that his career path was going to be altered, that he would not be able to build the kind of carpentry business that maybe he thought he might have. And if I'm in Joseph's shoes, I'm saying, you know, yeah, God, I, okay, I get that. I can handle that. All right. And now he's on the run, fearing for his life and the life of his child, moving from place to place that he likely had never gone before, all because of Jesus. Hmm. If you were going to have to, to have your life disrupted in a major way, who would you want around you? I would guess, and I don't know everybody here, but I've learned a few things in the short time that I've been here, and I know that for most in here, family is extremely important. 
your life is going to be disrupted. And some of you have experienced major disruption in your lives, even in the short time that I've known you. If you were going to experience that, you would probably want your family around you. They love you. They care for you. They may even live in close proximity. And you want them to be with you. And rightly so. You probably would also want your close friends, whether they're here at church or at work or wherever you've met them. You would want your close friends around you. If your life is going to be turned upside down for some particular reason, that's who you'd want. And yet the path that Jesus through the plan of God, had for Joseph included none of that. He didn't have any of that. All he had was fear and moving around all over the place and and being left without a true home. Apart from his family and his close friends, just with the hope that it was all worth it. I think we've often been led to believe that life with Jesus Life with him living inside of of you or me would never bring any kind of disruption. That it would simply add fullness to our lives. That that Jesus just adds to what we're already about. Kind of brings out the best in us. I think what we see in the life of Joseph and what I hope to show you a little bit later is that oftentimes it's the exact opposite. The routines and traditions that Joseph had were also disrupted. I love this little part in Luke. Luke chapter 2. Flip over just a little bit. Joseph's life disrupted in every area, and his routines and his traditions also included. Verse 21 of Luke chapter 2. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now look at verse 41. Every year, okay, so he's following the law. Here's his routine. Here's his custom. Every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover, Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, so imagine 12 years of routine, they figure, all right, all the turmoil, all the upside-down stuff is gone because we got him away from Herod. He's safe. They went up according to the custom of the festival. After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. More disruption. But his parents did not know it. Assuming he was with the traveling was in the traveling party, normal, normal activity, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple complex, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. Look at the contrast in verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were, they were, they were so understanding of why Jesus was doing what he was doing. They responded like typical parents. They were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated this like you ever lost one of your, one of your children for a short period of time? And, and, and the, you know, after you, you, uh, you, you get over being scared, just really angry, you know, he's just mad. Why did you do this? You know, he sa- she says, Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Twelve years old. Why were you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. 
They were just going to Passover. Normal Jewish family making their trek to Jerusalem for Passover. But Jesus was there. And even at 12 years old, even when they least expected anything from him like this, he disrupts and, and interrupts their lives and proves to them that even in the midst of their routine and tradition, when Jesus shows up, it's different. It's different. Verses 49 and 50 highlight the fact that Jesus also disrupted their parenting they did not understand what he said to them. It wasn't as if he was speaking a different language. They just realized they're dealing with someone that they weren't quite expecting to deal with. He says, didn't you know I, I had to be in my father's house? It's becoming evident to Joseph and to Mary that the true father of Jesus is God himself. Certainly had to change their approach to parenting him at some point. Joseph's life disrupted. When Jesus is present, all of life is disrupted. His public life, his private life, his daily activities, his traditions, his routines, his marriage, his parenting, his religious practice, every area of life is disrupted because of the presence of Jesus. And he serves for us, Joseph does, as an example, as a challenge, as a conviction that our lives are to be exactly the same disrupted in every way, in every area by Jesus Christ. But it's not just disruption that Jesus brings. He also brings meaning. Let's look at these real quick. I, I won't turn and read each verse again, but in Matthew 1.19, it says that Joseph was a righteous man. He followed the law of the Lord. He did what was right in the sight of God. And yet when Jesus came on the scene, that righteousness took on a brand new meaning. Some of us here are really, really good people. I say some because I don't know you as well as your family does, and I'm not going to try to speak for them and cause an argument at lunch. But some of us here are really great people. I'd like to say that all of us here are really great people. I think we are. But do you realize that being a great person even following what God has said to do means absolutely nothing apart from Jesus Christ. Nothing. Following the rules, being a great person, even loving your neighbor as yourself means nothing if you don't love Jesus. It means nothing. The Bible says our righteous acts are like what? Filthy rags before the Lord. Why? Because we can't measure up to His standard. Only through Jesus Christ can our righteousness move from being self-righteousness, us trying to pump ourselves up, to being His righteousness lived out in us. It means nothing without Him, but it means everything with Him. Joseph experiences what true righteousness is going to be all about because Jesus comes on the scene. Right living, even following the law of Scripture, Apart from Jesus is only self-righteousness. And you know as well as I do that if that's what you're trying to do, it's empty. It's hollow. It will wear you out. Because it means nothing apart from Jesus Christ. Only He can make it matter. Only He can enable you to live in such a way that righteousness is freeing. If not, what we look at it as handcuffs, rules from the Lord to follow. But with Jesus in your life, it matters and it has meaning. 
It has its proper meaning. We see Joseph also finding meaning in his obedience. There are several verses where the angel appears, and what does it say next? And he got up. He obeyed. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded. Only because Jesus was there did it even matter if he followed what the angel was going to say or not. But with Jesus there, it mattered and it meant something. Some of your, those rule followers who say, I'm going to do exactly what you say to do. But apart from Jesus, it doesn't matter if you checked everything off the list. It doesn't matter if you have perfect attendance at church or Sunday school or anything. Those are great things, but apart from Jesus, you're just checking things off a list. With Jesus, that obedience has meaning. His self-control took on a new meaning. He was to keep Mary a virgin until the baby was born. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Why in the world should you have to do that? But if you understand the meaning behind the virgin birth and how vital it was that Jesus enter the world without sin so that he would have no sin and be the pure and holy Son of God, then you get it. And his self-control made sense because it was done unto the Lord. I don't know where you stand. and I probably would speak mostly to our young people who are not yet married, though others are certainly included, but when I was a youth pastor at Opportunity each year, I would preach a series on marriage and dating and sex and all those things, and we'd do our True Love Waits deal. And my goal was, quite honestly, was for the Lord to capture their hearts in such a way that their purity, that their self-control didn't come because I told them to, or because they signed a commitment card, or because they knew it was the, the right thing to do in the church, or they were scared of some disease or a pregnancy that they didn't want. I wanted that self-control and that purity to come from a love for Jesus. Because then, and only then, does it even matter. That's it. Joseph's self-control took on new meaning. He also gained meaning in his perspective. I love these passages. I'm not going to read them again to you, but Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, 2.15 and 2.23. It says, This was done to fulfill what the prophet had said. Why in the world did Joseph have to leave here and go over here and then come back to this way and so on? To fulfill what the prophet said. God was working a bigger plan than Joseph himself. When we begin to live with that kind of perspective... Our minor inconveniences, our minor disruptions, even our major disruptions are seen with greater meaning because of Jesus. Everything that God was doing in Joseph's life was part of a bigger plan to fulfill what the prophet had said. Joseph was simply a tool in God's hands to fulfill what he had already promised was going to happen. And so the inconveniences, having to move around, being away from family and close friends and so on, struggling financially, it says they could only bring the minimal offering, sacrifice to the Lord. They struggled financially. All because of the call of God on their lives, the presence of Jesus, all those things then had meaning. It became worth it to them, knowing they were doing what God had called them to do. Jesus brought complete and total disruption in every area of Joseph's life. He also brought absolute and complete meaning to every area of Joseph's life. I firmly believe Joseph was not the same guy by the time that he died that we're introduced to in Matthew 1.18. Changed forever by the presence of Jesus in his life. 
I believe that, that despite our current times, despite our, our culture, even despite our church culture, that would say that that is a unique experience for the super spiritual, the pastors, the deacons, the Sunday school teachers, whomever, the spiritual elite, the missionaries, whomever you might think, though our culture and our church culture would say, well, that's a little out there. I want to show you real quick as we close that I believe this is very, very normal and biblical for the Christian life. Look in Mark chapter 1. Jesus now is entering his public ministry. And what's the first thing that he does with the people that he encounters and calls to himself? Verse 16 of Mark chapter 1. As he was passing along the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother. They were casting a net into the sea since they were what? Fishermen. Were they pastors? Were they missionaries? Were they spiritual superstars? They were fishermen. They were normal, ordinary people like you and me. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Disruption and meaning. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in their boat, mending their nets. Immediately he called them. And they what? Left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Disruption. But you read the rest of the story of those guys. Meaning. It was all worth it for them. The Apostle Paul. You say, well, maybe that's just because Jesus was right there. Maybe because they got to walk around with him and see him. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9 Experiences on the road to Damascus, his conversion. And then he would later write in Philippians chapter 3 these words. We talk about a guy who experienced disruption on his way to do what he was applauded for. A great Jewish teacher, scholar, somebody who defended Judaism. Jesus disrupts his life through his conversion. And Paul would write in Philippians 3, Although I had once had confidence in the flesh too. If anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he gives his resume. Look who I am. And then in between verses 6 and 7 is where Jesus disrupted his life. And he says, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Verse 7. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and cried for days and days and days and days. What does he say? And consider them filth. So that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. Real meaning in his righteousness. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his what? Sufferings. Being conformed to his death, assuming that somehow I will reach the resur resurrection from among the dead. You talk about a guy who welcomed the disruption of the Lord, who, who saw the new meaning Jesus brought in his life. We trace that through the New Testament. We fast forward through history. You see individuals and pastors and writers and scholars and martyrs and missionaries throughout church history even to this day, who Jesus has disrupted, redirected, and given new meaning to. And those who have gone on before us, 
Hebrews says, stand as a great cloud of witnesses. The greatness of Jesus Christ. The message that should disrupt us all, that should add meaning to all areas of all of our lives, is that Jesus came. That He lived a perfect life. That He died in place of you and me, a death He did not deserve, a death on the cross. That He was buried Yes, He died. But He was raised again to provide for us forgiveness of sin and eternal life. That message ought to disrupt everything about us. It ought to stop us in our tracks to consider the direction of our lives. It ought to stop us in our tracks to consider the direction of those around us. Of Jesus is a natural disruption for us. We have to deal with it. We have to come to God through it. Maybe you've not done that. And you say, today's the day. I know the Lord has been disrupting my life. I know He's been calling me. And today's the day I give Him my life. I wonder today as we close, how has God been disrupting your life? And in what way do you need to respond to that? You see the story of Joseph. A man that God disrupted in every area but added meaning. Maybe this morning, and this is who I'm preaching to today. I'll just tell you. Maybe this morning you would say, I will pray a bold and biblical prayer. Simply this, Lord Jesus, disrupt me. Disrupt me. I don't know what it means. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do. But Lord Jesus, disrupt me. Maybe in your life you might want to say, you know what, I know the Lord's disrupting me. I know there's something He wants me to do. I'm not sure what it is. I'd be happy to talk with you about it. I'd be happy to pray with you. I don't know. Whatever might be needed. Maybe you'd pray that prayer. Lord Jesus, disrupt me. Whatever in the world it means, you do it. Maybe an equally biblical prayer. Jesus, give me true meaning in every area of my life. Help me to see it the way that you want me to see it. Show me what my life really is to be all about. Let's pray together as we close. Lord Jesus, as individuals and as a church, we pray you disrupt us. That you would add meaning to us. That you would take us to your cross that we would see the end of ourselves, that we would see the beginning of you in us. So please disrupt us this morning. Give us boldness to pray that prayer. We pray in Jesus' name.